Thank you for joining us on the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast, a podcast of preaching and teaching from the ministries at Fellowship Baptist Church. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God. Jesus is King. He is your King and He is my King. And his rule is not dependent upon whether or not I accept him as king or recognize him as king. Jesus is king over all, no matter how willing I am to submit to his authority. Jesus is the king over everything. As Abraham Kuyper once said, there is not one square inch of this universe that the Lord Jesus does not sovereignly declare mine. No atom, no molecule, no person or plant, no country or continent, no military or spiritual power moves an inch without his permission, without his will, without his authority. And Jesus is king. And as Christians... We have come to acknowledge Jesus as king and to submit our lives to his kingship. In fact, the the growth that you have as a Christian is the process of him becoming more the king of your life today than he was yesterday. Your goal today is that Jesus would have more rule in your life today than he would yesterday. We as Christians declare our allegiance to him. And that allegiance goes above any other allegiance, whether that is country or family or culture. He is our king. And it is our joy and it is our pleasure to submit all that we are to him for rule and authority. And so today I want us to see and recognize and understand the kingship of Jesus. And what that means for us as believers. And as we're listening, I want us to think about this question. Does my life, does my life reflect that Jesus is king? Does my life show that Jesus is in total authority? Do my friends, do my relatives, do my coworkers, do my church members, when they see me, they see somebody who is under authority, somebody that is under the authority of Christ. Today, if you're taking notes, the main point I want us to get across is Jesus is the king who shows us the Father. Jesus is the king who reveals to us who the Father is. So let's see how he does that. Look with me back at verse 15. It says, he is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus as the king perfectly reflects the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. In the Old Testament, when kings were crowned, they were to be a reflection of God to the people. Their authority was in a sense to, be, to reflect the authority that God had over all his people. So if the king does well, he reflects the authority of God. We read a few weeks ago 
in the book of Deuteronomy, when, it, when a king was installed, he was to write down a copy of the law and put it to memory so that he was to base his entire life upon the law of God. As a king, he was to be underneath the one true and only king. He was to reflect to the people what it was like to live underneath the rule of God so that the people would not praise the king, but that they would praise their one true and only God. And in Colossians, Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean to be the image of the invisible God? Well, an image is a reflection. And in this time period, it carried the weight of the person it reflected. Coins were stamped with the image of Caesar. They, they would have his picture on there so that that coin had value and had authority from Caesar. It is basically saying it is his stamp to say that, that he is in authority and that this coin is the right value. Same thing happens today. We have our seals on our money, don't we? We have the American seals on those things. They reflect the authority of our government. They're saying we back this and we say it is true. Caesar's picture on that coin reflected his authority. It was a, a visible representation of him to a people, most people who would have never met him, who have never actually seen him. And Paul is using this type of language to explain the very nature of who Jesus is. Where God the Father is invisible and cannot be seen, Jesus coming fully in the flesh reflects and represents God to us. Jesus is the one true and only God in the flesh. God incarnate, the full God, full man, 100% God, 100% man being. Now in Genesis 1 and 2, you'll read that mankind was made in the image of God. And yes, all people are made in the image of God. And in that way, we reflect the nature of God. But Jesus is greater than that image. His image is of the Son, the Son who is always with the Father. The book of Hebrews and the book of John helps us here when it says in Hebrews 1, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times in different ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him the heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. John, in his gospel, in verses 14 and 18 of chapter 1, says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So we see in these passages that Jesus reflects, he images, he shows us by his unique nature, being both fully God and fully man, he shows us the Father. He gives light to the invisible God. He is the radiance, the expression of God the Father to us. And therefore, he tells his disciples, if you have seen the Father, when they ask, we want to see the, show us the Father, he says, if you have seen the Father, seen me, you have seen the Father. 
because I am the exact radiant image of the Father. Now, why is this important for us? We cannot know God on our own. The nature of God is that He cannot be discovered. He can only be revealed. You and I cannot discover God. We cannot figure God out. We cannot find Him. When the Bible talks about God being high and lifted up, there is a distance where we are unable to see God as He truly is. Have you ever lost your keys in your own home? Right, we've all done that, right? We've lost our keys. We don't know where our keys are. We're, we're panicked because whenever you need to find your keys is when you need to go, right? So you're panicked. You've got to get somewhere. All the anxiety kicks in. You can't see them even though they're there. And then all of a sudden, your, your wonderful spouse shows up with them in her or his hand, usually her hand, um, and they are miraculously revealed to you, right? The God the Father is unseen, but Jesus reveals the Father to us. He introduces you and me to our Creator. And this is why no other religious system or belief works. Because the ladder that they claim can go up to God is not high enough. It can't reach far enough. Only God coming down can reveal to us who God is. We are unable to climb up into His presence. We are unable to go up into the mountain of the Lord. Who can ascend His holy hills? Only those with a clean hands and a pure heart. Well, we, are not, we do not have clean hands. And we do not have pure hearts. And so we need God Himself to come down. And He does in the person of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. See, God is not required to speak to us. He does not need to speak to us. But in His grace and mercy, He does. And He speaks to us through His Son who comes down to our level, who speaks our language, who lives in flesh like ours. And so God wants you to know Him. God has a desire in His heart that you would know Him. He desires that you would receive the benefits of what it means to have a good relationship with Him. God is grand. God is mighty. God is holy. Moses couldn't see Him. Isaiah, when the very presence of the Lord fills the temple, He is undone. We as sinful human beings can't be in the very presence of God, but God graciously desires for us to know Him, and so He sends His own Son his one and only Son, to make Himself known to us. It is the humanity of Jesus that gives us the message that God loves us and desires us to know Him. Therefore, since we cannot have a relationship without the Son, and no one comes to the Father without the Son, we must have a relationship with the Son. You need a relationship with with Jesus. It is absolutely necessary. And that begins by repenting of your sins, turning away from you being Lord of your life, and submitting to Him as Lord of your life. It means 
confessing to Him your sins, but it also means confessing to Him as Lord and Savior. Because the one who has come to the earth is the one who has died for you and died in your place. He is king over all, but becomes a servant to all. So that all may repent and believe and trust and be saved. His death and resurrection is the reason that you have hope and and is the message from God to turn from your sins and come back home. The home that we lost at the very Garden of Eden is now given back to you if you would turn and repent and believe on the one true and only Son of God who has died in your place. That relationship that begins by repenting and believing continues through the body of the Son, the church. We talked a couple weeks ago about the great benefits of the ministry of the body. And how we desperately need each other to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, to be healed, to have a relationship with God, and to walk in His ways. We need each other. We need other brothers and sisters in our lives. And so we should listen to Jesus and uh, through His Word, the Scriptures, and we should also receive the hands of ministry through His church. See, church membership is not about being part of a club that you like to meet with every once in a while. If it fits in your schedule, if it works according to your needs, if it works according to your family. No, church membership is about coming to a group of people and saying, we need each other to follow Jesus faithfully and to reach our neighbors with the gospel. The church benefits you as your life is exposed to other people and God challenges you and transforms you through the hands and feet of your brothers and sisters. Let me give you an example. Have you ever had a church member come to you and encourage you to change something about your life in order to follow Jesus more faithfully? Maybe they come to you and talk to you about being a better husband or father or wife or mother. Maybe they come to talk to you about how to use wisdom in the Bible and when it comes to your job. Maybe they come to talk to you about your anger issues or your pride. Maybe there is encouragement from them. Maybe you felt a little beat up afterwards. But in those moments, you opened yourself up to the ministry of the hands and feet of Jesus, and his hands and feet showed up. And that is part of the transformative work that God wants to do in your life. We are shown what it means to be the body of Christ by being in relationship with each other. See, the church is more than just the ministries that we do and the programs that we run. The church is a way that God takes his image and makes it visible. Jesus, by redeeming God's people through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, creates a new people. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You, it is no longer you who live, but it is Christ who lives within you. All those great verses that talk about the transformative work of your life are, are working in such a way with us together that we become a new people under a different authority, his authority as our head. And we live out together the the effects of the gospel with one another so that each piece of the body grows and benefits from each other.
to better image, to better reflect our King. Jesus is King shows us the Father, but we also see here in this text that Jesus as the King has all rights and power over creation. We see that at the end of verse 15 when it says, He is the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now that end of verse 15 might trip you up where it says he is the firstborn over all creation. Does this mean that Jesus is a high created being? Is he just another created being kind of like us but with higher authority? Well, that is not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Firstborn in this context does not mean created. Jesus is begotten and not made. He has always existed with the Father. And so when Paul uses this terminology, firstborn, he is not talking about Jesus being the first of God's creations. He is describing Jesus as the one who has the same rights as a firstborn child. Now, we don't do this as much today. Your firstborn child doesn't get all the benefits anymore. But previously, the firstborn child carried the name of the family with them. The firstborn son, particularly, carried that name. They still do it in England when they have kings and queens, right? You, can, you, you want to be the firstborn. You, want, you don't want to be the brother of the firstborn, right? You want to be king. Because your brother of the firstborn, you actually... It's not as much fun. Jesus here is this firstborn terminology is used. It's speaking about his social order. He's the one that receives the largest inheritance. And he is the one that is responsible for caring about the name of the family. Jesus is firstborn over all creation means that he has all rights as a firstborn son over creation. So this shows that he has all authority and all power over all things, which is exactly what verse 16 says when it describes all these different things that he has authority over. Heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, right? Paul's just uh, uh, adding things on by saying, look at all these different things, everything that you can think of, every area he has authority over. There is not one square inch where the Lord Jesus Christ does not declare mine. He is the chief agent of creation. He has created all things. Now, some of you are saying, wait, I've read Genesis 1 before. I ain't seen no Jesus there, right? I didn't see him show up. Where is Jesus in Genesis 1? Well, he is there. And he's not just kind of hidden behind the scenes. He's actually up front. We notice when God creates The whole trinity is actually there. You see the Spirit hovering over the waters. You see God the Father declaring things into existence. And when He does, what does He do? He speaks. He speaks, doesn't He? He says, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus, in John 1, is called the Word. 
He is the agent of creation. He brings all of God's creations, all of his plans. He takes the mind of God and puts it into practice. He's the hands and feet of God's creation. And he brings about the perfect plan of God into full being. And when you combine that with the idea of being creator of all things and firstborn over all creation, we see that Jesus it has all authority and all sovereignty over all things. Notice the different spheres that he says. He has authority over all the physical world, the things that are visible. He controls storms. He controls the earth. He controls the stars, the universe. And invisible, the spiritual world. In fact, Paul emphasizes that spiritual world because what's going on in the, Corinthian, or the Colossian church is this deification of angels, this angel worship is going on, this dependence upon angels. And he's saying, why would you depend on these created beings when the one true and only God is at your disposal? And so Jesus is sovereign over planets. Jesus is sovereign over people. Jesus is sovereign over all powers. Nothing happens outside of his will. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? I want to give you two things and then a hard question. First, we need to not fear the powers against God's people because they can never overtake us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism answers the question of how Jesus executes his office of king by saying, Christ executes the office of king by subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. See, the absence of fear is not because there is nothing to fear. The absence of fear is not because we are supremely strong. The absence of fear is because we know a king who rules over all. See, Christians aren't courageous because we're naturally brave people. That is not us. In fact, if you read through the Bible, you notice many of God's people are not courageous. That it takes them a lot of time. Abraham gets his made promise, goes into a place and pretends that his wife is his sister because he's scared that the men will kill him and take his wife. Moses, when he gets, uh, talks to a burning bush as a representative of God, and gets called back to Egypt, I can't speak well. I can't do this, right? Joshua, as he's going into the promised land, has to be told to be strong and courageous over and over again in chapter 1. We are not courageous people in and of ourselves, but we know the king. And we don't just know him, right? We know he loves us. In fact, he calls us his bride. You, you know, what man in here, if someone were to attack his bride, would not do everything in his power to stop that attack. We may know, in fact, we, we may see somebody attacking our wife and know that we have no chance. They got arms as big as tree trunks. We don't. But we would put every, our very life on the line to protect our bride. That, can't, that same kind of love is for you. Do you see that? You see how Jesus loves you in that same kind of way as calling you his bride, that protective, caring love where he will watch over you? 
He cares about you more than you do. We are courageous because we know the King. See, I, I've been dealing with fear in the last couple of weeks of having a procedure tomorrow. Some of y'all know that, some of you don't. Um, it's my first kind of operating procedure, and I am not. Some people ask how I'm doing, and it's like, I'm not good. You know, I'm afraid. I don't like it. I don't want to do this, you know. And I have to remind myself, I have to tell myself, I have to preach to myself that Jesus is king over all. And that king loves me. And whether it goes good for me or poorly for me, he, has, he will do what is right by me and my family. Jesus protects his people. It's one thing you need to know. Jesus protects his people. Second thing I want you to know is that when we look at creation, we see the artist that God is. When we look around at all the created things that have happened throughout the, the different decades and centuries, and we just look at nature itself, we see a reflection of God's hand, don't we? I remember when I was a little kid, you know, you're, you're small, like, and, and I remember asking my dad, you know, how do you see God? And he, he says, you can see, he told me you could see his hand in nature. I remember looking out the window and staring at trees, trying to see God's hand, like physically see his hand, because I, you know, it didn't click. It ain't clicked till like five years ago, you know? Like, oh, that's what he meant. I remember staring out the window for hours. You know, he's probably thinking, like, what's wrong with my kid? He's just looking out the window all day. But we do get to see in every blade of grass, in every moment, in every breeze, in, in the, turning of, uh, the turning of the seasons reminds us that our king has an order. When we see sunrises and sunsets and just the beauty of nature, we, we see a God that even in a corrupt and broken world has made things beautiful. Even when non-Christians create beautiful things, they are reflecting the image of their creator whom they deny. All beauty points back to a creator. All beauty points back to the one true and only God. And so, yes, we know him best through his word and most clearly through his word. That is absolutely true. But we can see his hand. We can see his beauty. We can see his wonder. And if we live in a world where we can experience beauty and wonder here and now, how much more when the, the fallenness of sin is taken away from this world, and we are resurrected to life within, how much better will it be then? How much more beautiful? If this is a glimmer, how much greater the sun? Third thing, which is a question. It's a hard question. What do we do with the evil in this world and the problem of pain? If Jesus is king over all and nothing is outside of his will and his power, then we have an issue when dealing with pain and evil. Because when we read verses like this, we are unable to say that Jesus had nothing to do with it. That it was outside of his control. He would like to change it, but he is unable. So what do we do when we suffer the loss of friends, family, children, parents, what do we do when we are mocked, bullied, hurt, 
What do we do when we did nothing to catch cancer, but all of a sudden it shows up? What do we do when our world around us just crumbles? Jesus is in control of all things, and if he wanted to, the pain that you and I have suffered would not have to happen. And so can you and I look to God and see his love in the middle of pain? And like Job say, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. As the psalmist says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And his response to those two things is, blessed be the name of the Lord. I do not understand the pain that we go through. And I think it is really foolish and wrong to try to explain every loss. It is dumb to say things like where God, when God closes a door, he opens a window because it is really unhelpful and it's looking for some kind of back channel to this that it's going to work out. Sometimes pain is just pain and we don't know why we go through it. But Paul, who, who has a deep love for God, says that he rejoices in his suffering not just because there's hope at the end of his life, but because the suffering is producing something needed, something beautiful in him. That suffering is producing endurance, and it's producing character, and it's producing hope. And he can rejoice in the middle of that because he knows that his suffering has a transformative work in his own life. He may not even understand how that is happening. He does not know what would have happened if, if the bad thing would not have happened. But he does know this, the God of all the universe is in control and loves him and takes him through this pain and walks with him through the valley of the shadow of death. And he is enough. And I'm not saying this is easy. Pain is never easy. Loss is never easy. And Paul is not giving us cheap answers to tough problems. What he is doing is saying that your pain is not purposeless. And at the end, it has a way to transform you. The challenge for us, the answer to the question is not why, but who. The challenge for us is to trust that Jesus is good even when things go horribly wrong. Is Jesus still good to us even if he takes everything from us? That is a hard question to answer, and it will take you many sleepless, long nights and lots of prayer and many people to come alongside of you to love you and walk you through dark times. I do not encourage you to go through that on your own, but even if you do, you are not on your own. Charles Spurgeon, and some of you think that have heard of him as this great preacher, but he dealt with a ton of depression and sadness. And there were two main reasons that he dealt with it. One was when he was preaching in a service, a young man yelled out the word fire, and it caused a panic. And there were people that were trampled to death in his church. And he felt guilt for that. Even though he didn't do it, he felt guilt for it. And he also had extreme pains with gout. With no kind of modern medicine that would help through that, he dealt with that pain on a regular basis. 
And so as much as he preached about the greatness of God, he also preached through pain and suffering. And he says this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. John Piper, in a poem written on Job, or about Job, he concludes it by saying these words, And now, come broken to the cross, where Christ embraced all human loss, and let us bow before the throne of God, who gives and takes his own, and promises whatever toll he takes to satisfy our soul. Come, learn the lesson of the rod, the treasure that we have in God. He is not poor, nor much enticed, who loses everything but Christ. When overwhelmed by the troubles of this life, we must look to Christ as king over all and trust that he will provide the peace that surpasses all understanding. Everything that we need, he will supply. Jesus is king, and as king, he rules over all. As king, he shows us the Father. He is the creator of all, sustainer of all, and all things are created by him and for him. And so we, as his people, are for him. The hard things that we go through are to reflect back to His praise. And one day when all the wounds and difficulties are wiped away, as they surely will be, we will say, you have done all things well. All things. All praise and honor and glory to our King on the throne. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. To find out more about Fellowship Baptist Church, simply go to fellowshiplexington.com or join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1030 if you're ever in the Lexington, South Carolina area. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God.